I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Since you're already used to Father McAfee's treasures, I don't imagine that this brand new chasuble is capturing your attention, but perhaps I have more attention than I usually do. There's, uh, there are two parishioners who helped um, bring it to life, but there's a, there's a great lady um, who lives down in southern Virginia who goes to the traditional mass every day who has been making these ancient chasubles for me. So this is her latest creation. You could say a prayer for her. I'm sure she wants to remain anonymous, but she'll be happy if she knows that we um, said a prayer for her in Thanksgiving. Two days ago, the bishop was here for confirmation. And perhaps you can remember your own confirmation. Perhaps there was even a confirmation exam. And you were probably asked, what is confirmation? What does it do? What's the purpose of the sacrament? And perhaps you got away with something like, it makes me an adult in the church. Or maybe even you, you knew your catechism and you said it makes you a soldier in Christ. Well, I don't accept that as an acceptable answer anymore. Only because if that's all they can say, it doesn't tell me anything. If they can tell me that being a soldier of Christ means that they are willing to engage in the mission of the church, to continue the work of Christ, then they're on to a, a correct answer. If they can tell me the mission of the church, to save souls from misery and eternal hell, to help people believe in Christ, to receive the sacraments, and to go to heaven, then that's the correct answer. That's our mission. A few days ago, Father Cena and I were out for a bite to eat at District Taco on Lee Highway, and happened to stumble into a conversation with the three younger people who were in front of us in line. One of them I knew as a, as a teenager back in my first parish almost two decades ago, and now they're, seems like they're almost our age at this point. Strange how that happens. There's an interesting tidbit from that conversation worth sharing. One of these young people, so now in their 30s, told me that everyone he knows is unhappy. All of his family members, friends, co-workers, classmates, everyone in his world is unhappy. Not to counter that, but to offer him some hope, I painted for him a picture of what life is like in, in our world. Not everything's perfect, but by and large, families stay intact and happily so. Siblings basically get along with each other. They, you know, they fight, but it's more play fighting. But he was telling me in particular that of all of his married friends, the ones with children basically don't have a marriage anymore. And when I told him about families that I visit where the kids actually 
go to bed on time, and the mom and dad actually have time at the end of the day to be adults, he, he looked at me like I was telling him about some impossible science fiction novel. To consider that as much trouble as some of us are having imagining a world in which everyone is thoroughly unhappy, he has more trouble imagining your world. But I should check myself. It could be that we actually are all miserable. So don't answer that question. Don't raise your hand. But are you, are you all thoroughly miserable? I don't think so. <clears throat> and if not, I'm pretty well convinced that it has something to do with God and, and something to do with what we do here. And it's not simply that, well, happy people go to church, unhappy people have given up. There's probably more of a cause and effect relationship because some of us actually do suffer, and not just physically. Some of us are suffering spiritually. But it's here where you see the, the beautiful instances of, of, of the body of Christ where people help each other fight the good fight, where people suffer, but they do so in the company of people who love them. And that's how they're able to continue. And so what happened, what's going on here really is something um, far more significant than some kind of gym where we come here to improve ourselves. And it's, and it's not a club, like a country club, where we come and just enjoy the company of other people who are similarly happy. But it's more like that field hospital. We've heard that image before. Or maybe a different image is it's more like a co-op or just some insanely huge family business where everything happens because everyone contributes to it. So it's, it's with that context that I, I think it's worth sharing a few observations about the annual report for the fiscal year. It's the annual talk. Maybe I'll always do it on Gaudete Sunday. Who knows? So there's a letter. If you came early and you peeked in the bulletin, you already saw the letter. Please read the letter. I won't be duplicating much material from that. But just a few, few remarks about the numbers on the other side. You'll notice that the school budget is pretty much on par with the, the church budget. When we get out of our vocations crisis in 30, 40, 50 years and we have religious teaching in all the schools, then we won't expect the school budget to be um, equivalent to the church budget, but that's about what we anticipate. And there's actually an interesting detail when you compare tuition to salary and benefits where it looks like we're just turning the corner. There's the gold standard for parish school administration is that Tuition covers salary and benefits. And if you look on paper, we've actually turned that corner. Except for the fact that if you're really factoring everything in and you notice that we give over $100,000 in financial aid every year, then we're, we're about five figures away from, from turning that, turning that corner. 
And the school doesn't just benefit the people who happen to have a, a child there, right? Wouldn't it be better if, if everyone were able to, to grow up in a, in a Catholic environment where they're taught to pray, taught to go to Mass, brought to confession? The whole world would be a better place. So it's a little contribution in that effort. You'll notice religious ed and youth ministry grow. They're doing more, and they're bringing in more. The music ministry is doing just about the same at about half the price. James, not to embarrass him, has been doing a great deal, and part of it is involving people who are fully engaged in the mission of the church, and it shows. So whether it be James or Laura or Kevin or Mike, lots of people who are helping to make sure that we do as much as we can um, without being lazy. It's worth acknowledging that collections are a little bit down from year to year, from last year to this year. Makes it a little bit more gratifying that you'll notice a surplus, not a surplus, a surplus of over a half a million dollars. And so there's actually a lot we can do, there's a lot we should do beyond just rebuilding the, the bus stop in front of the church. There is one number that's not on this sheet that I would want you to keep in mind. It's the number 86. Every year, of course, we lose some parishioners because they move on or they move away or they drift away. So some people die, some people relocate, and some people start going to church somewhere else or worse, stop going to church. But every year, there are many new families. Last year, there were 86 new families that started giving to the parish. It's on average two new families a week. So what I would suggest is that if you see a new face, maybe introduce yourself. Don't say necessarily welcome, when did you arrive in the parish? Because they may have been here for decades, right? And that we're always afraid of that. That's why we don't engage a new face. We're afraid of revealing that I don't know you and I should have known you. So you can call their bluff and actually help um, ease the tension and simply just tell them your name. Hi, my name is such and such. And by the way, are you doing something for Father McAfee's retirement? Or did you know that Mardi Gras is on January 30th? Or something like that. We visited over 1,300 homes in the last year, but it's not, that doesn't even come close to fulfilling the mandate to proclaim the gospel to every person. And we certainly have to admit that those of us who do come certainly don't account for everyone who's interested in everything that Christ has to offer. And so our action points are these. Not only believe, not only know the fact that you are a soldier of Christ, but be fully engaged. Give people an open door. There are a lot of unhappy people out there. And it's quite possibly the people who you think are least likely, least interested, are the ones who want it, mo want it the most. You have to realize some people need to walk before they run. 
So I would suggest before you invite them to Monday evening Mass, bring them to Sunday noon Mass, right? Monday evening, is, it, it may seem easier to you. That's harder for the new person. And maybe even before you bring them to noon Mass, give them an experience of meditation, of, of being quiet, of resting. So maybe teach them how to smoke a pipe, right? How to just breathe, how to just sit, how to pray. A little bit of interior prayer is absolutely essential for what we do on Sunday to make any sense whatsoever. And if you can, give more. There's a lot more to do. I can tell you with a 99% guarantee that our cushioned altar rail is going to be in by Christmas. So that's done this year. Consider that done. We'll do something even better next year. You might know, might not. Father Sina and I, as secular priests, we don't take a vow of poverty. So we have to save for retirement. So that means there's 15% federal tax, 5% state tax. The government considers us self-employed, so we have to pay another 15, 16% self-employment tax. We have to pay tax on room and board as though it's income. Every mass offering, baptism, house blessing, wedding, all gets taxed. I don't say that to ask for your pity, but it means that we understand these are, it's a complicated time of the year. The numbers are complicated. I try to simplify it by just giving what I give to the church through Faith Direct. It's just, it's done and it's easy. So everyone that doesn't give through Faith Direct, they will get a mailing, uh, inviting them to do so. At the very least, factor in, and especially maybe as you introduce new people, um, who are, really engaged in what's going on. When the basket goes around and not many people put anything in it, shouldn't be an indication of who gives. Most people are giving. They're just not giving in the basket. They're giving electronically. When St. John the Baptist proclaimed Prepare the way of the Lord. The people asked him, what should we do? The Gospel of St. Luke shows the answer to the question. He said to them in reply, whoever has two cloaks should share with the person who has none. And whoever has food should do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. And they said to him, teacher, what should we do? He answered them, stop collecting more than what is prescribed. Soldiers also asked him, and what is it that we should do? He told them, do not practice extortion. Do not falsely accuse anyone and be satisfied with your wages. These are all matters of justice. These aren't matters of going above and beyond the call of duty for soldiers not to extort and falsely accuse, for tax collectors not to collect more than they ought to. It's all a basic matter of being a decent person. So too is if I have two cloaks and someone needs one, I should give one away. If I have food and I can share it, I should share it. Even before the dawning of the gospel is the basic message that you are engaged in God's goodness, in God's mission, to give what God has created, to share what God has offered you. 
And when we know that the greatest gift of all is what makes our life worth living, God's mercy, redemption, the promise of salvation, we can't, we can't keep it to ourselves. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.